Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a teaching with TBA rabbinic resident Julia Noblock. I chose a poet today who I actually, even though he is poetry, I, I actually really didn't know anything about it. I was one, uh, Um and I had other reasons for him. Like one reason is um, that I'm always trying to have the Parsha or to the coming Parsha. And um, you may wonder why did I choose a poem about a, a Canaanite um, uh, idol um, in between the coming together of all of Edad Israel um, and the Mishkan is being, is, it has been built um, and we say that let us go from strength to strength. And the next book that we open is the, the Torah Kohanim. So everything else, anything else but pagan worship, right? But um, I think I chose it precisely because of that, um, to have the sort of uh, opposite and to give us um, a way to think Canaanite worship, which, as Bible scholars tell me, um, is found a lot in what has become our our right as well. Um, but it's also because um, uh, Chernichovsky was, um, and I, that was very interesting to read about that, so that was the main reason why I chose this um, poem. Um, but then as I, I read on, it would be interesting, I didn't know, and maybe some, most of you may know this, it was new to me that he, um, he was very anti um, established Judaism, <laughs> and in his poetry, um, he has a whole series of pagan Canaanite worship and and, um, and is writing writing about that. Um, and in that, even though he's lived the romantics um, of any of any of history I can think of, in a way he is a late romantic in that that he that he was in the natural world because it seemed and in the same time romantics by their one on one hand be older established idealized worlds or systems they are somehow very conservative. Um, and at the same time, they have this other pull of very free and rebelling against the establishment. Um, if that is one, one, one reason, another one reason, but um, example, he, um, he married um, a non-Jewish woman and to have her convert and she, he said, I'm not doing it. And so, um, so there's a lot in, in this poem that, um, that speaks to that, not to them. To all this sort of, and we're going to look. I have more to say, and I found it. I became very interested in realizing there are a lot of interesting things to say. Why? And that it may be obvious. Um, he was born in several notes. He was born in 1875, and he was born in a in a village at the border between Crimea and Ukraine. And um, more about. So he wrote in Russian and Ukrainian, like many poets. Not time, he found himself starting out as a poet in Odessa, which was a cultural center at the time where many other, where many other like, lived. Uh, obviously, also Bialik had been uh, and, um, and other poets. And I thought it would be good to, to keep that in mind um, in terms of how Odessa was this cultural the center where ethnicity celebrated art. And I brought a quote, um, also this being a refugee, refugee at Betham, I thought it kind of made sense to have a not situation in Ukraine. And I brought an, um, an excerpt from a, 
um, translated into a course um, which conjures up yet another place that has long been gone, but that also was is gone. There. Uh, read it quickly. I lived then in dusty Odette, there for a long there steep, they're all exhaled, all glitters with the south and brindles. Um, Odessa, after all, wasn't read in his MP Shabbat with the backdrop of the Ukraine and Russia war that's going on there. Circumstances forced Janikowski to be even more of a wanderer than Bialik. Because of the restrictions against admitting Jewish students, he had to study medicine outside Russia, first in Heidelberg, then in Lausanne, in Switzerland. After working within Russia as a doctor during the trying years of war and revolution, he discovered, as did everyone else connected with the Odessa literary group, that there could be no future for Hebrew writers under the Soviet regime, and he left Russia in 1922. An unsuccessful attempt to get a medical post in Palestine led to a nine-year stay in Germany, interrupted by several temporary moves in the hope of finding more satisfactory positions elsewhere in Europe. Like Bialik, Janikowski managed to settle in Palestine for only the final decade of his life. So um, that's also a kind of refugee. And um, those are kind of the things I wanted to share before we look um, at the poem. And um, it is um, a very rigid, it's very strictly structured. It's a Petrarchan sonnet. And, um, and um, it talks about um, a woman talking to Ashtorte, who is the um, female, the, one of the Canaanite idols um, ex of fertility, basically mostly associated with. Um, I'm going to read it, but um, I hope I'm not going to butcher it because it's a sonnet, so actually someone who is fluent in Hebrew should read that, but um, I'm going to do my best, and then I'm reading the English, um, and you're invited to follow along. Ashtortili, hallo tasichili. Me'an hagai elenu vat. Ha'im beyat kena'ani. Me'ir lemaoz yam. Bein galei shevo. Tidon vehal tidon. He'arvu lo bahar ve'im leil aluf edan. Ha'im bitzrorot bat al dapshot gmalei dedan. Une'akot ma'alot chol hapaz. Benian venidan, niset im orchat sheva, no sheked roma kidon, velivnehem metarte kol rimonim vesaharon ran, niflaotli, ma niflaot enaich ismaragdim, afkulach asuch shen, yetsuraich kor mitlagdim, vein ish megalesod, Mi netanechli, ein ish. Salsilat te enim lach, hafanti kemach solti. Mi shemen zaiti log, elai hit palalti. Nahagihu na atzach, elai tevihu hish. The translation is from the, the, the book where they usually don't give they leave it more open because to, 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 to convey more of the Hebrew, so it's not, um, it's not, a, it's not going to be a sonnet in English. Maya Starte, won't you tell me, from where did you come to us in the valley? Was it in the hand of a merchant of Sidon, from the city's stronghold of the sea? 
the waves of Agati and Chalcedony? Did the chieftains of Dan lie in ambush for him on the mountain and at night? Was it in bundles of linen on the humps of Dedanite camels and she-camels raising the golden sand with their swinging and swaying, and before them the sound of pomegranate bells tinkling and singing crescent ornament? Wondrous to me, how wondrous to me are your eyes that are emeralds. Indeed, all of you they have made of ivory, your limbs linked together so. And no one reveals the secret who gave you to me, no one. A little basket of figs for you. I have scooped up my best flower. A log of my olive oil. I have prayed to you. Lead him, a shining lad. Bring him to me swiftly. And he wrote that in 1917. Um, yes, so um, I thought this poem is interesting, first of all, for its all formality, but ultimately my Hebrew is not good enough to, to go into in-depth analyses and, and point out all the... Um, the, um, the the intricacies, what he's doing with the language, at least it's not good enough yet. Um, but I wanted to throw it, give it over, hand it over to you in terms of how do you how do you relate to to this type of of um, idealization of a of a perceived idyllic world, Brent. I don't know. He said he left Russia. Well, he it says he left Russia in 1922. So either he was in Russia, right, and the Russian Revolution. Yeah, yeah. It's very. I'm going to sum up what you were saying, and then um, first. So Brent made an interesting comment, which I didn't think you were going there, but I'm going to answer. Um, no, no, no. It's great. Like um, 1917. It's World War One is still going on. Um, the Russian Revolution has is happening in 19, as much as I remember. And so um, I thought you were going to criticize, and Brent was saying it is, it is no wonder that, um, or it's not surprising that someone might want to turn away from all of that, having witnessed all of this brutality, and write a beautiful poem about a deity um, basically giving life. Um, I thought you were going to criticize him, so I'm 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 appreciative that you pointed that you went that way because um, because it's it's a good it's a good point. Yes, the question is when did he get his medical treatment? Because the the war, of course, World War One was specifically brutal. I mean, not that any other war is not brutal, but we know that World War Two was uh, World War One was um, very very like a, a lot of. I have something else to say. Like uh, so, it was. Having seen, a, he would have probably seen a lot of a lot of mutilated bodies on the Eastern Front, um, maybe even more so than on the Western Front. Um, I don't know. Looking at this quote from from Alto, so when he when he got his training as a doctor after working within Russia as a doctor, so he must have had during the trying years of war and revolution. So it says here, so he was already trained as a doctor, and he um, and he had during the, the years of the war and the revolution. So. Um, it's there are there's an Austrian writer um, um, Georg Trakel who writes his German Aust he's Austrian but he's considered also German because he wrote in German and he was um, in in World War One and there are a lot of those poets at the time who 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 witnessed all this the onslaught of the the trenches and 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 turned to write very 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 pessimistic dark poetry um, to your point. Um, 
Kendra Chorney. Yeah, um, that's a great question. The question for those on Zoom is how, what, what do we know about um, why, basically? So several Hebrew po poets writing in Hebrew um, write not about write about topics that could potentially even be, you know, considered more than anti. <laughs> that would be like, yeah, heretical. Um, I don't know. I wish I could answer that. My my guess is that um, my guess is that especially those people in the turn of the 19th century, um, like from from the 1800s to the 1900s, those those poets who came to Palestine, um, I think they they had gone through so many so to so much hardship. And they, they, they did believe, he was, he believed in Palestine, right? Also, like Alter says that some of the best work of his last years was a response to the physical presence of the land of Israel and to the efforts of its rebuilders. So I would guess maybe it's a Zionistic um, interest, but a loss of faith in the traditional God of, God of Israel. Um, I read that Tchaikovsky did not go through a traditional um, education, like starting in the Cheder, like Bialik did, for example. So he may have he may have always been had a different sort of perspective, but obviously he's not the only one. Um, so that's I think there's a tension between the religion and the land that, that is always there, and that probably was very very pronounced then. I don't know your name, sorry, Jason. Yeah, right, Newell, yeah. Um, Neuart. Um, so Jason, Jason sort of supported and added, added, added new perspectives to to what we've been talking about in terms of how it makes sense historically that a lot of people who came to to Palestine saw themselves as Jews who didn't feel bound by by religion, but they wanted to do something new um, and um, and would not write about religious um, faith. Whereas then there are other poets, especially in, in later years, that virtuously sort of combine these the work of right secular and erotic poetry and but using a lot of playing on the keyboard of, of, of religion um, um, another thought that I had in terms of maybe he is just wait, I have been looking to say something um, okay so um, um, looking at the poem and like sort of having in mind what he was interested in um, it also kind of makes Sense, if one wants to say, or is like in, in character, is there's this there's this person who's interested in in poets like Keats and Nietzsche and um, all these people who worship nature, like part of r romantic poetry, like in, in in the in the period and what in what considers what, what is considered romantic poetry is the worship of nature, right? Is the is the worship of nature as sort of like expression of freedom and of, of, of forces unbound and of, and of anti-establishment and, um, and um, all these things are in, you find in what's considered not, you know, established religion if you, if you want to find it. And, um, and um, the other thing is, um, as I said, this conflict also between the, that, they, that the romantics have, I find, in way of, yes, they're always looking for like a different ideal utopian state of life or of nature or, and at the same time, they're, they're interested in, in like the perfect shape of 
a Greek urn, um, or he, he has something too about an Apollon statue, um, and, and the sort of idealization of art as the perfect representation of nature. Um, and at the same time, they often fall also in the trap of, of worshiping too much of, um, of, Yes, this ideal, you know, and making it exotic. Like on one hand, one, one in, in the poem, when we look about the, the caravan and the pomegranate belts, which actually I found obviously very interesting because we have the pomegranate belts in the priestly, um, in the priestly garment. So there's a, there's a hint of that. Um, and maybe because it is just so, just, we can't just separate it. Um, it has potentially pagan, you know, Origins and it's considered it's a fertility um, image and the and the the priests in the temple walk around with it like it's um it's very interesting. Um, did you want to say something? Okay, right? Yes, exactly. That's why it fits in in in, in this havdala. Yes, right, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Those. So many interesting things in it. I, I, I'm going to hard to summarize this for the for the folks on Zoom. Um, basically, um, question: Was he a product and a poem of of his time? Well, in that that he, or was he even a foreshadowing what is what has happened um, for most of the 20th century in Israel? That people are really interested in archaeology, and he he is is sort of um, writing about that and putting that into focus and. Um, and I want to say yes, yes, in in a way. But on the other hand, um, I also think that he um, he idealizes the 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 past. He it's some of these descriptions to us, like this whole idealization of exotic Oriental caravans, and it's it has a lure. But also in that time, it was there were a lot of cliches about it. And so I don't know if he was that type of poet who can be grouped into that. Um, I do think that the interest in archaeology in Israel um, um, is very much can be seen for certain people just like as a confirmation of turning away from religion because it's archaeology and it's science and people have different ways of how they weigh one another. Um, I think he was he was probably proud of his time in, term, in, in, in the way that he came to Palestine in the time in the years that he did with the historic context that he carried with him and whatever that what that meant for his life I think in terms of the poetry at least that's what I've read about him and the poems that I've read beyond this he seems to be emulating actually something that is a little bit gone um, in, in, in in his sort of way to to romanticize bygone eras um, but I really liked um, it, and it has come through in what several people have said in terms of how he turns to this fertility deity in a time of rebuilding, populating, and having seen tremendous loss. And I, and I think that's a good moment to end on. I just thought of that. So um, I gave another poem on the source sheet, actually, which is from an Australian romantic poet who also, not Jewish, who writes about uh, Ashtar, um, Ashtarte, Asherah, whatever it's, um, several names. Um, I'm not going to read it. It's very long. And I just gave it, it's, it, was, it was interesting how to the point of there was a romantic Australian non-Jewish poet writing about the Canaanite fertility goddess. So um, anyway, that's it. Thanks for coming.
You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.